and actually now leaning into agencies, having a core lean team in-house um, and working with specialist agencies for the various channels is, is working uh, tremendous for us. Hello everybody and welcome to the Leaf Colectivo. I'm Gil and I'm the CEO of Leaf and with me is my co-host Star Wes, uh, who is our CMO and Chief Customer Officer. And today we're welcoming Jake Newbold to the podcast. He is the CMO of British-based direct-to-consumer brand Piglet in Bet. And in 2019, he was voted by the drum as one of the top 50 world's most exciting up-and-coming marketers. That's a big one. Um, so Jake was employee number three at Piglet in Bet uh, after he made his uh, sting as um, part of the acquisition team at made.com. Um, and he was the first in-house hire to run marketing efforts across paid and email. So we can wait uh, to talk to him about all things customer acquisition, retention, building brands from scratch, working on big ones, um, and really kind of like breaking through um, everything that it, it, it comes to really make a brand tick, taking that message into the customers, but most importantly, making them become true ambassador of your brand. So welcome everybody. So Jake, before we kind of dive in, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? Um, so we were, you know, you're another and just like, like, like us, like us, I mean, you know, from Costa Rica, you know, based here in the Northeast, but um, proud Jordi uh, in itself. Uh, so yeah, th tell us a little bit about kind of like, how do you end up in this space? Yeah, sure. So I start off predominantly um, uh, pulling the levers in both paid social and organic social back in 2014. Um, so Facebook changed considerably since then. Um, and I kind of always had a broader interest in the wider e-com landscape, like how different channels affect um, a site's traffic, what contributions are being made. I've worked both agency and, and in-house and I've kind of over the past few years definitely fell in love more with, with in-house. I feel like you can always get into the weeds a little bit more than you can agency typically. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been my background and basically just trying to seek any opportunity to, to drive growth and understand where it comes from really. And it's interesting. We started kind of like around the same time, like 2014 and definitely things have changed a lot. Like we, we were able to ex experiment a lot at some points we had thousands of ads running in parallel. You know, we had, uh, we had coin, something that we, that we come up with called the, the one pound test. And we would put one pounds, you know, on all these different ads and then just like letting the algorithms and, you know, and we will, you know, kind of like write Python scripts that will like chip the levelers on, on that stuff. Um, how, how was it for you? Like starting back then, like what was your motivator in many ways? Yeah, it was completely the same. For us, I remember having these sort of complex setups in Ads Manager where you'd have several, well, it seems like hundreds of different campaigns on low, low budgets. Um, you do really granular targeting. It's kind of done a complete 180 now based on what, what Facebook tells us we should be doing. It's, you know, consolidation um, as much as possible rather than a, an arduous setup make changes as infrequently as possible rather than trying to manually intervene so it's it's kind of changed quite a lot i think in the past sort of 10 years 
Um, I think the same same goes with um, Google and PPC. It almost seems as if Facebook and Google are converging into one in terms of the, the methodology they're they're kind of honing on about. It's less campaigns, more more spend in a consolidated way rather than hundreds of different uh, campaigns and ad sets. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, they're both preaching a similar sort of setup. Yeah, I think it was. It's funny because it it, it was like Facebook tried to copy Google a little bit when it first started. Tried to do something different just because of the nature of the platform. And now you see things like uh, Flock being replaced by Topics and it going more interest based and going broader. You know, whereas Google used to be you know, split out all your campaigns into into very granular ad groups based on keywords and your targets and your ads and, and product. And now, again, it's like consolidation. And I wonder whether, you know, we were joking about this uh, a couple of years ago. Well, actually, it would have been around the time we were running thousands of ads thinking the server cost for Facebook must be insane if everybody's doing this and everybody's running all these ads and all these ad sets. And, and, and then... You know, now you just get pestered by Facebook marketing experts like every day of the week, just saying like, yeah, yeah, less ads, there's ad limits in the accounts, consolidate your campaigns. The, the problem with consolidation is it's then really difficult to to control your budget and control the creatives against specific audiences. So, yeah, how do you how are you managing that that challenge? Yeah, it is tricky and we, we I've kind of been quite a big proponent of the um, I think the Facebook coined it the power five so within within those sort of parameters it was consolidation get as much event data through as possible um, automatic placement like, obviously yeah automatic placements go broad it's, it kind of goes against everything you think as a market like you kind of know who your target audience might be but let's not do these really granular interest-based audiences in certain locations. We kind of do the, the complete opposite of that now um, and let Facebook decide. And to be fair, that's it's done us the world of good, actually going much more broad um, and, and letting the machine learning take over, really. And I think, obviously, within, I think, at the iOS 14.5 created this uh, measurement issue where we simply just can't see it see as many events flowing through Facebook anymore. And I think that's potentially child's play compared to what's going to come with Google's depreciation for third-party cookies. I'm trying to almost get ahead and think, well, we're going to have to embrace measuring performance based on the top line rather than uh, controlling as many levers or assigning as many um, metrics in platform because it's simply just it's, it's quite noisy, to be frank. Um, so yeah, and, and and quite dubious as well. I think at times you got to take it with a pinch of salt. Even if you're looking at last click, if you're looking at Facebook seven day click, they're all um, having a single source of truth can be tricky for sure. Yeah, and and it's funny, right? Because everybody kind of comes uh, looking for that, right? Like that, you know, almost like a black and white attribution model that says this happened and then you know like and something that we tell people is um even when you know that last click takes you and, and you can attribute it back to a channel 
there is a halo effect, you know, like it's like playing football, right? It's like who scores the goal, right? The last person to touch the ball before it hits the net or, or all the players that touch the ball in that given play that made it the goal because it is important all this mix. Otherwise, you know, we have had, um, you know, uh, people come to us and say like, oh, I just shut down Facebook because all the, my conversions coming from Google. Uh, and then like, you know, a week later, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? You know, like Google tank. And I was like, yeah, of course, like it's, there, there is a halo effect of, you know, the, the awareness and, you know, every platform has, you know, the, their own strengths and, you know, and plays on, on that. 100%. Yeah, I think you've got to try and work out, you know, if you, if you look at it as like, what's the main growth engine behind any company? Um, like what growth loop defines or uh, drives most amount of growth. So for, for Piglet in Bed, um, we started, we, were, we are pretty bullish on, on paid social, both organic and from an acquisition point of view. Um, and we know even just from implementing things like a how did you hear about a survey post-purchase, which anyone can do, free app on Shopify, for example. And yeah, it's only going to be, it's not going to be fully representative. You might get 20% answer rate. But from, from it, it's anecdotal, really. It's just kind of like a guidance. Exactly. But we can see a, a huge lion's share of people saying, saying social. We don't discern between organic and paid, but it kind of reinforces that it really does work for us. And I mean, last click, I'd say it's fairly rudimentary metric now. Like it's a neat and tidy way of looking at everything. But for a channel like paid social, which is a demand generating channel, assigning a last click conversion value on it is just just doesn't do it justice at all uh, so really try and move away from from that I maybe mean, it makes more sense for things like paid search where it's demand catching much more lower funnel but you're completely right if you look at there's no such thing as this sort of a to z linear customer journey like they see the ad then they go on the site and they buy straight away it's multi-device over you know especially for us considered purchase uh, there's a latency effect that you've got to take into account. So there's all these different variables, um, which does prove to be quite tricky when trying to attribute which value, which, which channels are driving the most value. Yeah, just on the, the post-purchase uh, questionnaire, I take it you're just doing that with like a multiple choice because we, we had a client who did like a free-form text box and like half the people just typed in the internet you know what i mean like the most useless the most useless bit of information you could you could possibly gather um but yeah i think on the attribution thing i mean even if you go into any shopify store that's got say, a compliant cookie policy now especially you know it, cookie policies are becoming you know we deal with uh, companies all around Around Europe and and their sensitivities within the EU compared to us in the UK or the US clients are totally different. I mean, we've got a client in Denmark, and Denmark have been, you know, the authorities have been really, really ag aggressive on like punitive action for people who haven't got a cookie policy where you can reject all without it being hidden behind another model, right? So, when we look at the difference in Shopify, say for session data, which is first first party data. And then the difference between GA, we're seeing like 60, 70% of the data just disappearing between Shopify and GA. And then obviously we've got GA on our last click um, and we're looking at things like social, uh, which, you know, as we know, you know, if you look at your direct traffic in GA, it's basically unknown traffic. 
And a lot of that will be traffic coming from apps because if you leave an app and you go to a website, you just lose the referrer data. And I think we have these battles quite a lot with some of our clients where we've got to explain this time and time again now. So straight away up front, first thing we do is just explain everything that's happening in GA, the difference in Shopify and the difference in Facebook and just kind of chop that off at the knee. So I think the more mature clients and the people who've got more experience of doing what you guys are doing they're just looking at top line revenue and if and on a blended approach and saying right if we increase spend in social keep everything else the same are we making more revenue and we can attribute you know we can attribute that because we've pushed the spend in social the more inexperienced the client is a lot of the time for us the more they start talking about attribution straight out of the blocks and we're like well Let's let's try and get some sales growth going first, and start trying to improve things in the ad account. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And for me, both myself and my CFO have the same opinion that you know, if anyone I believe thinks have found the holy grail of attribution, then if they think it's too, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Like we we don't have the time or resource to be trying to build out some sort of robust. Yeah, you know, delineating and assigning a, a value that works across all different channels, and we're doing exactly that. We're looking on a more blended approach. We lean into um, what we call acquisition ROI. Look at first-time customer revenue, look at total digital spend, and see see what the baseline shifts are on that. That's kind of um, so we would look at we look at all spend versus all revenue, but then really to try and gauge the effectiveness of the acquisition channels will look at first time customer revenue only which shopify can can give us uh thankfully so yeah and it's about trying to run experiments as you said if you were to keep uh paid search spend flat but increase paid social spend 30 40 percent what does that do to the top line uh, can you increase acquisition roi at scale same with bringing in completely new channels. If you start to run a podcast or TV, then what happens? Um, I think you can get bogged down in trying to, you know, you want to measure every single little detail. Um, and we're trying to do other things like, like you said, direct, for example, it's almost like this, this black hole of like, where does all this traffic come from? And I think there is some correlations you can probably do around if paid socials one of your main acquisition channels try and have a look at the relationship between that like the spend and the impressions versus your direct traffic and organic branded searches another quite another good proxy that we use as well we're spending more on facebook what's happening to searches for piglet in bed so there's a few different things i think you can do um but again it doesn't always solve the the, the sort of uh, the grand question of what's the best attribution model yeah, and, and it can really get uh, in itself, um, you know, like it, it can be a black hole in many ways or a rabbit hole, like because it can suck you in. You know, I remember when, you know, completely different, you know, when we were doing Leaf Music, uh, you know, we had three analytics platform built in at one point. Uh, and we were lucky that we had access to the, the analytics team at Twitter, uh, the analytics team at Facebook and um, and our own analytics partner, uh, and we were looking at this stuff with a very fine comb. And I remember, I think it was somebody at the, you know, the Fabric team at Twitter, who told us, 
look, just just choose one, get rid of the rest, and then just use it as a as a as a as a, a kind of like arrow, you know, that shows you kind of like the direction of travel, rather than treating it as a very you know kind of discrete number of stuff because you're not gonna get it and you're gonna get bogged down on that when in reality you should be looking at just direction of travel and then be making decisions on that and seeing the experiments and what that you know kind of like does to your you know to, to those to those uh, main KPIs really yeah I think I'm just try- we're, we're trying to you know it's about measuring the whole and nothing but the whole and I think we sometimes do get caught up in because it's digital because it's got uh, metrics assigned to it trying to yeah attribute every single little thing that you do and I think you can end up potentially wasting time on doing that rather than just yeah more of a holistic view on everything obviously you, you you need to know to a certain extent what levers to pull and what you might want to increase or decrease but um yeah trying to take a bit more of a zoomed out approach it's going to look it can look quite volatile sometimes but then naturally you know, often sometimes we get bogged down, but we zoom out and we look year on year. It's like, wow, the growth, the growth is tremendous. Like we had a bad month, but it's okay. We're still on an upwards trajectory. Yeah, I think people forget to focus on the marketing and the message, and they start like they think you, you can just like press buttons in an ad account, and then you can be a smart ass with trying to attribute every and they and they're just missing the fact that they've either got a poor merchandising and product strategy. Or the website shit, and you know the customer journey across the website's not that good, and then they're not putting out the right messages. You know, it should be pretty simple, like get good products that's got a good USP. <clears throat> you know, you've got a clear differentiator in the market, <clears throat> and then lead with your best performing. You know, in inverted commas, lead with your best performing products on a broad. You know, what do you really want to introduce new customers to the first time they see your brand? Focus on that. Do you want to? go with a softly, softly approach and try and add value. Like, I don't know if you're a, I don't know, a brand that sells sauces or something like that, lead with recipes and introduce people to your brand through that and then follow up with products and, you know, add value right through the customer journey. Or is it, you know, you, you're a digital night vision brand or something like that and you're just really leading with like lifestyle and like product straight away and this like aspirational kind of, purchase like think about what you want to what you want to lead with when nobody's seen your brand before and then and I think people forget to focus on that and then how do you treat them as you go down the down the funnel in a really broad sense in, in terms of like top middle and bottom and those those categories people get caught up too much with uh yeah st- I think structures and like yeah pressing buttons in ad accounts and attribution and, the, and and what we find most of the clients have totally neglected even though they're focused on attribution and the data is the signal so when we go in a hundred percent of our clients pixels tags analytics are broken in some way that we've never found one yet where it's like yeah everything's perfect because if it worked a second ago it doesn't mean it's going to work five seconds later this stuff breaks and there's problems with it all the time and i think you know we go in and we look to set up a really really robust like signal processing kind of engine you know, tag, taking things out of Shopify because Shopify is like, you know, it, it's all right if you've got a vanilla out of the box website, but as soon as you start to customize it and put different apps on, it's just going to break the tracking more often than not. So actually, you know, building a data layer and, and having everything sitting outside and protected in a, in a container um, 
you know, and server-side tracking and things like that becomes so much more important to what we do. It's probably it's probably our USP as an agency focusing so heavily on on that, as well as, you know, building our own technology. But, yeah, how, how do you guys look after the, the signal side of things and, yeah, what's your methodology and your setup there? Yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I think it does seem to be a downfall, actually, of a lot of either media buyers in-house or agencies is yeah setting the foundations before you start scaling up um so yeah we we implemented conversions api pretty quickly and we were also server-side tracking um i think i mean that's paramount before you start start getting serious i do think there's a great to you as an agency kind of uh placing a focus on that it does seem like a lot of people like the last thing they look at were really you should make sure that that shit's figured out first before you start scaling up spend. They leave it to web developers. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the time they also, you know, it's kind of a... They, 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 they don't know, you know, like somebody yesterday was, was mentioning on a call, it's like, I have never heard about this. My developers have never said anything about this. They just say it works, and I was like, <laughs> and we have to show them, you know, like, it's like, this is not a developer thing, you know, like this requires you know, like specialists, like looking into this stuff and actually looking at, you know, to, to, to work, you know, like uh, properly. But yeah, like you said, I mean, we, you know, more often than not, a lot of the people come to us, like they, they just haven't set it up properly or had not even placed, even if they knew about it, they didn't place the, the right importance into why it's important, to, you yeah. know, for that. No, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I think back to what you were saying earlier as on the you know, we're starting to think more and more about messaging angles what you put in front of people at what point in the funnel um i mean it's just this is classic marketing comms which we always should be doing but i feel like creative now especially in facebook is is paramount we're kind of having to look at how can we combat rising cpms so we've got to think click-through rate we've got control of that uh, I do genuinely think a lot of people don't put enough investment into the creative. Um, have, a, have a look at like how much do you spend on creative as a proportion to your ad spend. Like, I don't know what that golden percentage is, but if it looks a bit off kilter, you might want to have a few more discussions about how you can affect it uh, because it's inevitable that CPMs are going to rise. Obviously, 2020, we had a bit of a golden era where demand was high, but CPMs still plummeted to the floor, which was great. So efficiency was, you know, I don't think we'll see anything like that again. But now things are starting to normalise again. How are you gonna How are you gonna combat uh, rising CPMs? That's sort of a Facebook media buyer's biggest problem, I think. Sure. Yeah, and that, that was something that you said before that you know I, I, I kind of wanted to to come back on, and is the you know that um, balance or symbiotic dance in between brand spend on top of funnel and then the, the conversion driven part, because, you know, like a lot of people like treat them as separate stuff, like almost like you do this, I do that, you know, like, like none of this should impact this it goes back to the whole, you know, signal and stuff and understanding, you know, how does, you know, the different mechanics works, but yeah. How, how's it been the experience for, for, for you guys? Yeah, I think, it's a classic like dichotomy of like brand versus performance and you have this um well not always but maybe sometimes division in companies between like different goals it totally shouldn't be and, and piglet we you know 
brand is performance performance is brand like they need to work in in harmony with one another like it's all to try and achieve commercial growth but maybe in slightly different different ways but i mean we've done a really good job of like especially from a creative standpoint like the feedback loop things that get posted on organic can cross pollinate into paid social maybe with some like iteration um so yeah they, they all should work sort of in cohesion rather than like you're the organic brand guys and you do this and then the paid guys do that and it, yeah I've seen, I've seen it where there's quite a big disconnect but actually each other can probably be of, of quite some value to each team so it's trying to trying to bridge the gap um can be difficult but i think it's essential yeah we we do a lot of um you know, when we land with a new client, I think they're probably surprised at how much we focus on like dovetailing organic. And, you know, we, we just want to speak to the organic team, but what are you doing? Because middle of funnel audiences, especially on paid social, those on-platform audiences are becoming, they're going to become even more important or just as important as your web visitor audiences because we're getting less signal from back from the website because of the death of third-party cookies and you know, all the problems with Pixel and iOS, whereas the on-platform audiences, we're getting more data, it's more granular, and turning that and actually nurturing that on-platform audience and then, you know, kind of trying to turn them into more of a high-intent audience. It's not just somebody who's liked, like, you know, one of your posts a year ago, it's somebody who's actively engaged with your brand. And that does take, you know, I'm under no illusions, that does take a lot of work from the brand itself, like having a team that can that can focus on community management and we're really pushing all our clients to to focus like the best thing you can do to help us is is is, is nurture those uh nurture those audiences on organic we're not asking for all the content in the world but be there be present be answering comments and let's turn this you know putting stuff out there that we can drive engagement on that's meaningful and it's not just all products you're adding value to the your community so if you're like go compare be a bible be the place that people go to when they want to when they've got a question about insurance if you're you know some kind of i don't know oyster sauce brand or something like that um and you're about authenticity and you're about you know you're about um you're about i don't know classic recipes then be the bible on that on that stuff and people think when they think about asian cooking or something they just go I know that's a really broad term, but you know they go to your website or they go to your social channel to get the answers they need. That is how social, I think, especially is going to have to is going to have to play out because those audiences nurtured on platform are just going to become the audience that that starts to perform the best as the you know the audiences right at the bottom of funnel that we're getting back from the pixel are just they're just kind of disappearing really. Yeah, I agree, and I think yeah, trying to carve out um or be that authority on whatever your category is you know for us we're trying to become almost like synonymous with this being this like home of natural comfort so yeah we start out in linen bedding branched into pajamas it's almost thinking if we start branching into the bathroom or the kitchen like what are all the different products um that will suit this kind of lifestyle but yeah on the, the content marketing piece if we can if we can, um, yeah, become an authority on, well, like, why is linen good? Like, why would I get that over cotton? That's usually a question that, that arrives. But also, it's a good ranking signal to Google because more people start searching Piglet plus linen. 
then become an authority on linen, become rank non-brand for linen bedding, and then happy days. So it's, yeah, really trying to hone in on what content can you create around uh, the product categories that you're selling. And is that really that holistic approach to things, right? Bringing SEO into the mix, bringing, you know, like how do you get discovered really as people start engaging with your brand in, in, in those kind of like, uh, you know, like, like, like Facebook and Instagram, you know, those where you can go and create the demand in many ways. And then, you know, getting the people to, to kind of like fall back by, by looking for your, you know, reviews, being able to manage your reviews, you know, as well, um, being there, like, like Wes said, you know, managing a lot of that community. Cause a lot of people now is becoming smarter. They're digital natives. I think the last 24 months have made a lot of people, uh, be more, uh, a more, more, uh, you know, kind of like educated, but, you know, second is also um, more, if you will, um, skeptical as well because of all the, you know, the news uh, products and stuff that has, you know, kind of like floor uh, the um, the market really uh, in this digital. Yeah, industry. for sure. I think it should all be interconnected. Going back to um, the, like trying to think about what are the main growth engines. So I kind of bucket it into three main ones we've got performance marketing which we talked about so you know if you can't make your brand work on facebook instagram then like maybe the product's poor but that's usually the first place you go to also google and google ads to mop up the category demand you've got the content which we've talked talked about seo blog posts newsletters and then like that virality piece like word of mouth referrals like how can you supercharge referrals because you know that's that's going to set the stage for more revenue make acquisition work better so it's if you're just fully reliant on making paid do everything but you've not got that organic foundation to uh sort of put it on a pedestal your job's gonna be pretty tough because i can guarantee everyone's cpas are rising and if, if that's like the holy grail like you need to make facebook work but you're not working on anything else i think it could get quite tricky yeah and i think this this goes back to probably you know a couple of points to to end on you know, if, if you're pushing the right content on social and then people are clicking on that and say go into your website to read a blog or to get some value-added stuff and it's not just about all about product, the dwell time is going to be higher, the bounce rate is going to be lower, they're going to be clicking around within your site and then that sends like amazing signal to Google. So you're getting this added benefit of dovetailing organic with paid and pushing the right content in front of people. It benefits Google and then more people, you know, you get pushed higher in the rankings. So you're getting more organic and then more people are generally aware. And then you've also got them falling in love with your brand because they're getting value and they've been treated really well. And, and then they're going to tell people about it. So if you do the right things at the top of funnel and push the right content, you know, you don't have to be super granular with the targeting. The creative can, can you know, if you're putting ads in front of people and it's not for them and they're not clicking on it, Facebook's just going to go with the people that are clicking on that stuff and you can let, it's like creative-led performance has become, like creative has become king again instead of data being king. I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's a blue, well, there's no one blueprint, but yeah, it's, it's thinking about how everything interconnects. Um, and yeah, where, where you can... Think about where you spend time and energy on it. I think you only have to win in two or three lanes. Like you don't have to do everything good, but if you can be really good at performance marketing or really good at content marketing, like just 
just try and hammer it as, as much as you can. It, it, there, there is, a, you know, kind of like a, one of the final question, but it's kind of like a bomb as well. I mean, you guys recently uh, started uh, expanding outside of, you know, of the UK and going into into the US. Uh, how's that been, you know, like, and how's does uh, been the, the shift, you know, towards, you know, changing markets, obviously much bigger market with a lot of different, you know, um, intrinsics to, to, to go into. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the addressable market in the US is, is phenomenal, obviously, like the volume, and we're still just a very small drop in the ocean, but we, we saw there was demand already from uh, US customers onto the UK site, decided to, to transition over. We've got a warehouse fulfillment set up there now too. Founders set up uh, out just, just nearby Chicago. Um, yeah, you you can't adopt a, a copy and paste approach, not in our experience anyway, even just from small details around like ad copy, messaging. You soon find very different things of what resonate with a, a US customer versus a UK customer. Um, you know, everyone always asks, like, is it, it is harder? I would say it costs them exponentially more than the UK. It's much more competitive. We're starting to think about ways now of how do we differentiate language we use in ads on site, in email, and not just, yeah, do this cookie cutter approach. And we'll have to do the same again. We've got EU is in the back of his heads. That's on the roadmap. Obviously, again, translations, different payment providers. There's all very multifaceted, different different nuances to all these different markets. I, I don't think you can necessarily just, you know, clone the Shopify store and then start up again. There's, um, yeah, you definitely need to think through, how, is it going to be positioned the same way or are we going to speak slightly different to, differently to this market? Yeah, a lot of our customers who, who try and launch into the US just go like full, like full countrywide with like, you know, they've got, not that much budget considering the size of the market and they just like target the entire of the US. And you've got to think, you know, the US is essentially like the EU. It's like a whole bunch of different people. Like it's, you know, Texans are very, very different from, you know, people from New York who are really different from people in Chicago or Montana or something like that. And I think, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be smart and think about the US as a, it's, a, it's almost like a, you know, it, it's almost like a collection of, of nations, you know, it, it, it's, the states are so huge. It's like a massive collection of, of different nations, really. You've got to think about it like that. So how are you tackling How are you tackling that in terms of like the, the territory targeting thing in, in the US? So we've done a bit of both. We've done full broad US and Canada. And we've also uh, tested doing like regional targeting it's, it's been, to be honest, what seems to be better for efficiency and, and conversion. I'm going to completely like juxtapose what you've just said, but going broad actually does seem to, um, Facebook does seem to, to favor it. Not to say we won't test regional again, but uh, obviously it makes things more tricky if you want to do anything to do with like weather related. I mean, you can maybe just about get away with that in the UK, but you wouldn't be able to do that in the US with like full broad territory targeting just costs it's so vast um but we're thinking about even in just things like you know our pricing architecture is different to the uk um you mentioned unit economic skill that's the one thing i think uh, as a market which i found really helpful is 
having a close relationship with my CFO, being baked into the to the unit economics, and for us, it's it's not growth at all costs. Like we're not necessarily interested in this like hockey stick growth. Um, profit is king for us, and we keep a close eye on that in both markets. It's different setups. We know how much we can afford to spend in each territory. So it's just managing the expectations around that. I think often people just need a, a transparent conversation with finance. So, you know, it, a lot of times it can again be a division between finance and uh, marketing. Really, you need to, you should be allies. It is, it is true. You know, we were, we were joking before about, you know, um, some, some of the, the, the perceptions that people get out of CFOs, you know, we, before we started recording and, it, for us, you know, adding a very experienced CFO has made such a difference and he has become that ally. He's, you know, and, and it's funny because he's like, look, guys, ultimately it's your decision. I'm just giving you the parameters. I'm telling you, if you do this, this is what was going to happen. If you do that, this is what's going to happen. And so, you know, he's pretty much has become a, you know, a, a tool. Sorry, Coleman. Uh, but really, it's just because, you know, like he's being allowing us, you know, like that really, you know, like clarity in terms of actions. And yeah, definitely, you know, puts a lot of constraints, but they're constraints just because they're informed, you know, now decisions, whereas before, you know, like, um, you know, in our own span, you know, how we were growing the company or, you know, just because of, you know, sometimes where you're scaling fast, you need people and you need to bring, you know, people like yesterday, right, in order to support uh, the, the, the growth. But you know, also looking at the unit economics, looking at, you know, and having that, you know, very close relationship with finance, understanding your numbers. You know, we, we collaborate with a lot of our customers, helping them even understand a PL and saying, this is how, these are the, the numbers that you should care about. You know, obviously you should care about everything, but these are like the main stuff that actually are the levers that will make or break your business. KPIs cannot be, your ROAS is not a universal ROAS, like it's going to be very specific to how your, you know, cost structures are, are set up, right? And your cost structures in the UK will be very, very different to those in, in the US and in the EU, right? Definitely. I think the main takeaway is make sure you uh, befriend finance and brand and community and that, you know, you need, you need to all, it's teamwork that makes the dream work as, as cheesy as it sounds. Two things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started at, at this gig well that's a tough one um i think it goes back to having that patience and not trying to not make knee-jerk reactions um based on maybe little knowledge uh or yeah not enough data i think we got to a point where it was almost uh, data rich information poor i think the, the saying goes so yeah just just trying to um hold it out a little bit and not not make rushed decisions um, based on one, two days worth of data. Sometimes it can be panic stations, but often it's usually okay. Yeah, uh, maybe implement more patience the day to day, I think, as a, as a marketer. Well, you you cool. have to do things, didn't you? Go and think of a second one. Um, the second one is, you know, the, the reason I ask for the second one is because you put all the attention on the first one. And sometimes, you know, there is this this second thing that you almost don't pay attention to. Yeah. But it might be rich, you know, like. I think oh, one other thing I briefly again spoke about this before recording, not to go down too much of a rabbit hole, was kind of had in my head initially was build up this amazing in-house team, acquisition team, because uh, it would just be much better. Um, and I would just kind of, 
uh, wedded to that. But actually, in our case, the quality of candidates, we spent maybe a bit too much time on on trying to strive for that for whatever reason. And actually now leaning into agencies, having a core lean team in-house um, and working with specialist agencies for the various channels is is working uh, tremendous for us. So, yeah, I think especially as maybe as a startup, as you're getting going, don't maybe don't try and um, that stellar candidate's probably not going to come straight away. Like we probably we'd be spending a lot of time trying to find that person unless you're lucky. So I think there's an abundance of agencies out there, including you guys, obviously. Um, lean into that, like just get going. I think you can chop and change, and you might want to bring it in house. Um, I think it's just starting rather than uh, thinking too much. Who's the perfect candidate? Who's the next um, recruit going to be? You just need to get going, I think. Yeah, that, that that's actually very interesting because um, we were we were recently talking to, to somebody. One of the the things with with us at least, but and, and I can speak just to our experience. But um, one of the advantages that that some of the brands that work with us and you know and we love to work in these setups where there is a you know, a lean team on the brand side, uh, you know, that can, you know, that we can collaborate very closely with, um, is the flywheel effect of the fact that, you know, under our, you know, when we have 50 or 100 brands, uh, we are looking at all of this stuff. We have, the, you know, uh, we have our own data warehouse that is crunching data in real time across all the accounts. We can see trends, we can see changes. And then one of the USPs, I would say, that our team has been able to build is, is being able to adapt fast and then roll out across the portfolio. When you're on your own only, and when you have that kind of like narrow view, um, that by the time, you know, some of that signal goes and, you know, gets to you, the tsunami might be on top of you rather than having all these kind of like instruments out there and, and being able to apply that flywheel, if you will. Yeah, I think in-house expertise can potentially... Uh, stagnate quicker or you know learnings can plateau because you it's just you on a channel um if you're not really speaking to many other people or don't have a greater understanding of like the commerce landscape like an agency does um that's what i just prefer agency personally for for what you just um articulated yeah it might not work for everyone but yeah for me lean into the learnings of what an agency is, has found across other clients applying it to your account and just that constant stream of ideas you get from an agency, I think, is invaluable as a, an in-house market. Cool. Well, Jake, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I really, you know, I personally have enjoyed this conversation and learning about, you know, uh, the experience that, that you've had, uh, you know, up until now, building this kind of like, quote unquote, on your own, right? Being one of the early ones in the team and, you know, taking it uh, on your back and then building it around it with the rest of the team itself um so yeah it's really been been a pleasure and uh hope uh, all of you out there are you know have learned you know quite a bit and especially you know seeing the realities that goes behind the scenes of you know building a direct consumer brand uh what goes on in there the, the thinking you know be friend with your cfo with your finance really know the numbers you know like don't go you know don't don't become you know a geek of the numbers just for the sake of being a geek make they're a tool there to be used to guide the path um so yeah uh thank, thanks for 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 for, uh, for coming uh jake it's been a pleasure and uh really looking forward to to continue the, the chat afterwards yeah thanks for having me on guys right everybody um so this was the leaf collectivo uh 
it's been a pleasure to 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 have you as as always. Uh, please subscribe uh, wherever it is that you uh, listen to your um, uh, to your podcast. Uh, you know, even if it is not Spotify, uh, just because of the recent stuff. But uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having Jake uh, and having you all uh, this far with us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the, the the episode. Don't forget to subscribe, to follow us, to ask questions, to you know, reach out. Uh, and as we say in Costa Rica, pura vida, bye bye.